Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey, this is Kevin Kelly, and you are listening to the Stardom Cast. This is Jesse from Club Venus from Stardom, and you're watching Stardom Cast. Guys, and welcome to uh, the Stardom Cast, your weekly audio source of all things World Wonder Ring. Stardom, and welcome to our latest retrospective where we delve into the history of Stardom and discuss all the finer points that make this great company the company that we love. I'm joined, of course, by Mr. Matt Turner. Matt Turner, how are you, good sir? I'm great, my man. We uh, we got a lot of rain here going on in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and then we're supposed to be get a pretty big windstorm later on tonight. But uh, you can't control the weather. I always say Mother Nature and Father Time are both undefeated. But other than that, my man, I am uh, pretty darn near perfect. How about you? How's everything going on with you? Can't complain. Can't complain. We are getting a heavy load of rain at the moment, but of course we are because I've got football tonight, and whenever I've got football, it must rain and or be freezing cold. So uh, I'd actually be more concerned if it was nice and sunny. But other than that, things are going fairly well. Um, But today, Matt, we're looking. In fact, we're going all the way back. We're going all the way back to 2011. Are you excited to see how this company began? Yeah, and it's uh, we decided to do this as a retrospective, kind of just coming off the, the tail end of Stardom's 13th anniversary show. And it's kind of funny that the name of this show is Birth of Nova because we may be a few months away from possibly Birth of Nova too. So uh, sometimes we're just, we get lucky with our timing, don't we, partner? Absolutely. And it was interesting to sort of do some research into how this company came together and the parallels between what happened then and what might happen here and obviously we're looking at the birth of nova show which i don't know if it's currently on stardom world i know it has been i don't think it's there at the moment um it is that's how that's how i watched it about three or four weeks ago and did my research brilliant okay i didn't i watched it illegally i'm sorry stardom world because i didn't know it was on the service but yes go and watch it on uh, stardom world but it's really interesting because obviously we're talking about rossi ogawa's new company um talking in the current day now 2024 and the first show for this as of yet unnamed company that will forever be rossi vice wrestling will probably look 
like this show, as opposed to, you know, you know, having championship matches and stuff like that. The first couple of shows are probably going to mirror this sort of structure, aren't they? Yeah, that'd be my guess. Not unless uh, Julia brings the New Japan Strong Championship over <laughs> and Medusa's it. But uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I think that's what they're going to do just to kind of establish, you know, who these are the faces you're going to see in Rossi Vice Wrestling, you know, build up the promotion. Again, we mentioned it on the weekly show. It's probably going to be, it is going to be a handful of wrestlers that we know and love at stardom mixed in with some foreign talent, mixed in with some, um, uh, with some uh, freelancers as well until they really establish the pecking order, then probably come up with like some sort of championship tournament. But then again, who knows? Maybe Rossi is just going to be like, the heck with it. I've been booking for 40 years. We're going to crown a champion. Match one, night one. I mean, <laughs> it is pro wrestling, my man. Crazier things have happened. That is true. That is true. Um, the man is certainly experienced when it comes to booking, so why the hell not? Now, just out of interest, before we get into all the history and everything else that goes along with with birth of nova had you seen this show prior to the retrospective no i haven't and i was uh, i was shocked that it was only it was only five matches uh, i was shocked to i kind of thought the person that was in match one i thought that person would have been in the main event just because of uh i may as well say because nanai takahashi with her relationship with rossi i thought she would have uh, pulled for the main event but i do understand why they started off with that tag match just because it was an absolute banger mm-hmm. and uh spoilers my favorite match on the show but no and i did see the only thing i've seen uh prior to doing the research for this our this retrospective as i saw little bits and clips of uh super baby mayu Versus Super Baby uh, Arisa Hoshinki, which it's funny you, when we look back on it. Obviously, Arisa has not wrestled, and you know she retired about four years ago. And Mayu is considered one of, if not the greatest female wrestler of all time. It's kind of you look back at that, and like, hmm, you wonder what that match would look like, you know, in today's world of stardom or stardom a few years ago. Just considering the fact that those two would pretty much go on to uh, dominate stardom in the next handful of years. So. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting to see who's on this card. A lot of these wrestlers I've never heard of before. Um, some of these wrestlers I haven't seen in a while. And it was fun to go back and watch this show, which I ultimately, it was five matches. It was easy to digest. And I thought it was just a really good show and just a really good way for this company to uh, to start off. And here we are some uh, 13 years later still talking about it, my friend. Absolutely. And we are going to be talking about you know quite a few rookies um, with this being primarily made up of the first generation, the first class of rookies that Stardom brought through. And it really is a star-studded class. Um, And once we go through, we'll get into sort of how many names are a part of it, especially when you consider the names that will come through at later dates. But let's sort of talk about how we ended up at Stardom 2011. So before we get to that, we have to go all the way back to All Japan it means pro wrestling, um, which is the genesis for a lot of things when it comes to stardom. Um, Rossi Ogawa uh, was a part of um, All Japan Women's, um, doing everything from photography to being a manager to helping with the promoting and the creative side later on. I believe he managed the Crush Gals at one point um, during the big boom. Um, but he then left all Japan Women's in 1997 had a public fallout with the Matsunaga family who owned All Japan Women's um, due to the creative 
sort of direction the company was going in. And uh, he left after nearly 20 years with the company. And 1997 was already not a great year for all Japan women. And if you remember, Matt, when we spoke to um, Awesome Kong on the podcast, she was talking about how sort of 1997 was the year when all Japan women lost everything the wrestlers dorms the training area everything because the matsunaga family had lost everything in real estate yeah um i do remember and if you, if you have not listened to that interview go back on the archives it is absolutely free and a super fun interview where awesome kong does give a lot of uh, background information over time in all japan women's in the late 90s and then Rossi obviously left, like I said, um, and he would go on to form ASEAN um, with Aja Kong. Now, uh, in 1997, a huge cull of the Old Japan women's roster did occur. So you had got Kyoko Inoue, Etsuko Mita, Mima Shimoda, Chaparita Asari, uh, Yoshiko Tamora, um, amongst others, and they would go on to form Neo Japan Ladies Pro Wrestling, which does fit into stardom later on in its history with stardom inheriting their high-speed championship once that once that company folds. Um, and then Aja Kong, Mariko Yoshida, Reggie Bennett, Yumi Fukawa, Ritamada, and Rossi Ogawa left to form Arsian. Um, uh, and that brings us to the next folding of a Joshi company. Um, because despite a few, a couple of good years, Aja Kong would eventually leave um, Arsian due to disagreements about direction. And she would actually sue. Rossi Ogawa in 2001 after he continued to advertise her appearance at shows, um, which I thought was really quite interesting. Um, Arsene would eventually fold in 2003, um, uh, but was resurrected for a special anniversary show in 2023. So we've already had All Japan Women's, which we've sort of seen start its slow decline that would ultimately lead to it closing its doors. ASEAN now has closed its doors as well. However, Matt, there was a little promotion called JD Star, which was founded by Jaggi Iwakota in 1995. Now, at the time that we're talking, um, this promotion was still active, but it was struggling. Um, two things to note about this program. First of all, or this company, should I say, first of all, they would move their home base to Shinkeeper First Ring, which is important because that is where the show we're going to be looking at takes place. And it was perhaps most famous for its Athtrus program, which apparently is an amalgamation of the two words actress and athlete, um, which is basically where aspiring like singers, models, um, people who are very good looking would be used um, and sort of used as marketing tools in a wrestling ring so that they could be established as idols. Um, this had mixed results, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, uh, it didn't give JD Star the boost that they were hoping, and more seasoned wrestlers were not happy having to share the ring with them as they didn't feel like they had done the time. They hadn't put in the hard yards to be where they are. Um, the third class of Athrus's was the last before the company's closure in 2007. Rob, why are you bringing this up? 
Well, the reason I'm bringing it up is because that third class was run by Shu Shibatani. I've been practicing that name as well to try and get that out first time. And more relevantly to this podcast, Fuka Kakimoto. Now, as hopefully you will know by the end of this, Fuka Kakimoto and Rossi Ogawa and Nanai Takahashi are the driving force behind stardom in those early years. Fuka Kakimoto is a former mixed martial artist. She had a two and one record in a company called Smack Girl, which genuinely, Matt, when I researched that, I thought it was a rib. Um, but it is a genuine name from a promotion um, and is a legitimate MMA promotion. So well done to Fuka. I've got a little bit of a tidbit for you, Matt. Are you ready? I love tidbits, especially from you, Rob Goodwin. Go ahead, sir. She was also a kickboxer, had two fights, one and one. I will give you three guesses as to who her loss was to. Arisa Hoshinki. It was not Arisa Hoshinki, no. Sherry. Correct. What a cool oh, little about that. turn. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Uh, you think that's where Sherry got her push from when she came in to in 2019 was like, I knocked out or whatever. <laughs> the founding member, the founding member. And then somebody said, Rasio Gao. And she's like, no, I'll knock him out too. We're like, we'll push you. We'll push you. Do you think that's how she got her initial push or the fact that she's just awesome? Or maybe a little from column A, maybe a little from column B. I love the fact that Suri has now defeated two of the founding members of Stardom. <laughs> and now has just got Rossi Ogawa left, and she's got, like, her eyes set on him. Um, so... If, <laughs> if, if Sherry's the one to... If she's one of the four or five main eventers, we heard rumor that's that's going to uh, Rossi Vice Wrestling. But I tell you what, if they want to start that show out with a bag, Sherry versus Rossi Ogawa, that's <laughs> your main event. I think that's the way to go, right? I think it has to be a kickboxing match. Um, I mean... It just, it just has to be. Um, uh, she did also continue as a wrestler, though uh, Fuka would stay more as a freelancer, wrestling for both Neo Japan ladies, who I mentioned earlier, and promoting her own shows, um, continuing also to train wrestlers rather than choosing to wrestle full-time with Pro Wrestling Wave, which was the promotion born from the ashes of JD Star. Now we talk a little bit about Fuka Kakimoto cha- uh, training wrestlers. She promoted her own shows, and one of the people that she was training, perhaps most crucially, was a lady called Yuzuki Aikawa. Now Yuzuki Aikawa uh, was a Gravier Idol, which is sort of like a pinup girl. You know, from like if you were to use an American equivalent it's sort of a pin-up girl um extremely popular as a graveyard idol she would go on to um to become a wrestler would wrestle her first match actually in 2010 against nanai tagashi where she got absolutely bludgeoned um but just put a pin in her name because she becomes incredibly important to stardom's history further down the line and then, of course, the final member of those that stardom trio um, is Nanai Takahashi, who, you know, is perhaps one of the most decorated Joshis um, of the modern era, certainly. You read her, her list of accomplishments, and it does read as a who's who um, of 
just wrestling championships, you know, championships from All Japan Women's to JWP to Stardom to Seedling to um, uh, the Ice Ribbon Tag Team Championships. She's won what seems like absolutely everything. Extremely decorated, extremely experienced. And it was those three that came together to form the promotion that would be stardom um it was fuka who actually initiated it inviting rossi ogawa to come and see this class of trainees um and this was where the sort of kernel was sown the seed was sown so to speak and the the company was announced in september of 2010 and the first event birth of nova which we're going to be looking at today uh took place shinkiba first ring on the 21st of january but matt this first class of rookies that we will see on this show mayu iwatani arisa hoshiki yoko bito eris suza yoshiko and haruka that's not a bad group of wrestlers when you consider that we have got two future red belt champions two future white belt champions three future five-star grand prix winners there it's a fairly star-studded class of rookies, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like they did pretty well with the training facility and just those wrestlers really pushing above and beyond their limits to, uh, to you know, be the best they can be and really, you know, get the uh, the foundation for this company, uh, you know, some 13 years later. So sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle, my man. Sometimes it's a combination of uh, being at the right place in the right time and just having the uh, the grit and determination to uh to do your best and that's it then you know and then when that happens those two things come together you get something magic that happens and that thing magic is this company we love all so much that's called stardom let's talk about this show then i believe um uh, it was like say shinkeeper first ring 466 people in attendance um, we opened with a tag team match, the team of Irish and Nanai Dagashi defeating Natsuki Teo and Yuzuki Aikawa. Nanai Dagashi pinning Yuzuki Aikawa with the backdrop suplex in 21 minutes and 31 seconds. Really interesting dynamic here. Um, uh, Yuzuki Aikawa obviously trained by Fuka, the person who was bringing a lot of eyes to stardom and... You think about that number that I threw out, Matt, 466 people. This show is very much sort of on the back of Yuzuki Aikawa and Nanai Takahashi, isn't it? And 466 people in Shinkiba first ring is a healthy number for a brand new promotion with limited names on the card, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's a really good number. I mean, I didn't know what the number was until you announced it. I didn't uh, go into a deep dive. I know that you would have because, partner, you're the best and you do a phenomenal job with research. But you can tell there wasn't an empty chair in the building. So you can tell there was a lot of intrigue going into the show with Nanai having a name to herself and Yuzuki Ayakawa having a name to the a name to the self. That's why I'm shocked that this match wasn't the main event or that Ayakawa and Nanai, neither were in the main event. But at the same time, you want to start your very first match off with an absolute bang. You know, very much I remember when Ring of Honor first started in 2002, the very first match they started out with an absolute bang with uh, the late, great Jay Briscoe versus the Amazing Red. So it's, uh, you know, you, you kind of remember certain things like that to, uh, to, 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 uh, to start the promotion. So, and this is what they did here. 
This is what they did here. They started out with an absolute bang. And this one, I believe it was the longest match on the show. And boy, howdy, did they all Japan uh, the falsies on this one. Because there were so many near falls at the end that I thought it was the finish. Either somebody was kicking out or there was uh, a breakup at 2.9. They did a great job here stretching the drama. But ultimately, Rob, I did kind of have to have a chuckle. And I'm sure once I watched this match, I'm like, I know Rob's going to say the same thing that I did. I think it's kind of funny that the, the person that picks up the very first pinfall in the very first stardom show is one Nanai Takahashi, my friend. Yes, she was very much no jobs, brother. Um, no, I mean, like, Nanai Takahashi is the veteran in this alongside Natsuki Teo. Um, and it was very, very clear that when those two were in the ring, the the quality picked up. And that's no disrespect at all to Iris or to Yuzuki Aikawa, but this is Aikawa's second match. And even though there are certainly flashes of talent, I think there's flashes of greenness as well, where you can tell she's not quite used to being in this situation yet. She will get there, of course, and actually, by the time she retires in 2013, she would be a very, very accomplished and, to my mind, an underrated wrestler um, as well. Iris, I thought, did pretty well, considering she'd only wrestled, I think, a couple of matches um, or a handful of matches at most in 2010 before sort of having having this tour with stardom but it was teo and takahashi that really did bring the fire and obviously they've got a long history of their own they were in a stable with kana or kana i don't know how you say it uh who of course we know is wwe's asker passion red um so they know each other very well they've wrestled with each other against each other and that was very very clear but I'm most interested, Matt. How do you think Aikawa did? Because she was given a lot of time in this tag match. And just just to um, sort of piggyback on your point, 21 minutes and 31 seconds this match lasted. There wouldn't be another match in stardom that would go 20 minutes until April 24th. Um, when the main event of Nanai Takashi and Yoshiko against Natsuki Teo and Yoko Bito went 21 and a half minutes. So there you go. That shows some indication of just how long this match was. But how do you, th- what did you think of Aikawa's performance most importantly? I thought Aikawa was great. Again, she's somebody that I would love to see her come back for the Battle Royals from time to time. I mean, the last time we saw her was at All Star Dream Cinderella. She had a surprise entrant in the, uh, you know, that big, that big Battle Royal. And she looked great. And I think she's, you know, I follow her on social media. I think she's like a fitness model. And I know she did an interview. Like she interviews random wrestlers. She had an interview with Miyu Amasaki. So she's very much still in shape. And she's still very, you know, into the public eye as rightfully, you know, she should be. But here and just to what you said, it was her second match. I thought she was great here. This is just flashes of brilliance that we would eventually see with Ayakawa, who becomes the first wonder of stardom champion. Um, you mentioned that Nanai and uh, Tayo, they're the two stars of the match. I mean, it's clearly, it's obvious in this match, but I thought both Iris and Yuzuki were really good here. Again, we eventually will see where Ayakawa will she'll go within her career. Even though it was short, it was definitely a main, main uh, sticking point into the very early stages of stardom. So I thought that Ayakawa, again, I thought she was terrific here. And Rob, little uh, Matt Turner uh, trivia here for you. Are you aware that Iris is my is the name of my favorite Goo Goo Dolls song? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it the only Goo Goo Dolls song? 
How dare you, sir? <laughs> How dare you? Um, I, I did know that, actually, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I remember you mentioning it. Um, but yeah, I thought Aikawa did well. There was moments where she was, you know, sort of flinching, which is only to be expected, really. Um, but the mechanics and the basics are certainly down by this point. Um, I thought Iris did pretty well, to be fair. I thought there were some really cool transitions. Um, I know that she was certainly influenced by Mexican wrestling. I did a limited uh, bit of research on Irish, but I couldn't particularly find much. And there's not a long cage match, which is a phenomenal resource um, post-2011. So uh, she certainly had promise here, though, though she would go on to lose significant amounts of her matches in stardom going forward. Um, but yeah, I thought this was the best match on the card by a distance. I think that was probably why it was put on first um, to sort of heat that crowd up. And let's just talk about that crowd for a moment, Matt. I thought the Shinkiba crowd, I love the venue anyway, because it feels very close. It feels very club vibes. You know, when you start a band and early on you're in the club and you're playing the club circuit, you've got fans that are very, very close to you. And, you know, it's hot, it's sweaty, but they're some of the best gigs that you do. And I feel like that's what Shinkiba was here. Okay, we're used to seeing stardom in the Edian Arena or, you know, Budokan or Yokohama Arena or whatever. You know, we've seen them progress. However, seeing them here right at the start with the roots of the company, I think Shinkiba First Ring is the perfect venue to run. And that's probably why, you know, significant parts of 2011 and 2012 were run out of Shinkiba First Ring. But the crowd, I thought, were fantastic, Matt. Yeah, it always seems like even for a lot of the shows in Shakiba First Ring, whether you, it doesn't matter if you're watching whether it's a stardom show, which they don't go back there that often. I know it's a kind of few and far between. They've almost outgrown Shakiba First Ring because eventually we would see them. You know, in 2015 and 16, they start running Cork and Hall uh, more more because they can probably draw a thousand more people, and ultimately, you know, it's it's a business. But uh, yeah, it's a very uh, you know small venue, very intimate venue, very intimate setting. With the fans, whether it's Stardom running or Dragon Gate that's running or Tokyo Joshi Pro or really any wrestling company that runs that venue, it's a nice little venue where you can pack a few hundred people in there and it sounds like a few thousand people, which in turn looks good whether you're watching on YouTube or DVD or Blu-ray or VHS for any of you uh, fans that are born that you know that are as old as I am. That it just, it, it it makes it for a better setting and it, it sounds loud. But the, yeah, the crowd was on fire for every match from start to finish, which just goes to show, you know, I'm sure Rossi, when he was leaving that show, when he put his, uh, when he put his hat down for the night, see what I did there, partner, (laughs) he must, he must have thought like this was an absolute home run. You know, we had almost 500 people in this building and they responded from everything from match one to, uh, to match five. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you give this match, Matt Turner, on the coveted stardom cast scale? This was four and a quarter stars, sir. Wow, you liked it significantly more than me. I gave it three and a half, thought it was great. Um, I must admit, and this is something that I didn't um, pick up on before, the Nanai Takashi and Yuzuki Aikawa matches, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy the progress of Aikawa. So that freelance show from back in 2010, uh, which was a Fukukakimoto um, produced show, Nanai bludgeons Aikawa. She bludgeons her here as well, but there's a little bit of resistance um, from Aikawa. And then when they get to what I 
think is one of Aikawa's best singles performances, certainly top two alongside that 2013 match with Mako Satomura. Um, she gives as good as she gets against Nanai and feels like a real competitor and a real challenger. And I think those three matches are a really good yardstick for the phenomenal progress Aikawa makes in when you think about it, is a really quite short time, a quite short period of time, should I say. Um, let's move on then. Singles match, Mika or Mika Nagano, should I say, defeated Erich Sousa with the armbar in three minutes and 55 seconds. Erich Sousa, of course, making her debut here as part of the stardom rookie class. Mika Nagano is actually quite proficient MMA um, competitor, has wrestled in Ice Ribbon and stardom, but has fought in the lightweight divisions of Deep and Duel, which apparently are both Japanese mixed martial arts companies. Her record is 18 wins and 13 losses. So uh, a a positive record, quite healthy record, and the majority of her MMA um, victories came via submission, 15 out of 18. So uh, poor Eris Susamat had very little chance here, you think? I've never heard of either of these ladies, and I've never seen them wrestle. But Nagano, I mean, as soon as the bell rang and she shot a really perfect double leg takedown and went right into the arm bar, and I could just tell from her transitions, and I'm like, okay, this girl definitely has some sort of judo and or jiu-jitsu background. Again, just by the way she entered the double takedown and the way she quickly transitioned from the uh, top mount into the arm bar. And it was clear on from this entire match. I mean, she dominated, got to be like 70, 75% of the match. Uh, when Susu got on the offense, she made a count, but uh, she was only on for a little get, a little, a little bit before Mika was able to counter uh, a lot of the offense that Sousa was giving. I did like the finish, how she um, uh, was able to use a rolling armbar and to transition to the middle of the ring uh, for the tap out. It was uh, wasn't obviously it wasn't as long as the first match. I thought it got enough time. It didn't overstay its welcome. But uh, Nagano was somebody that really, really. Uh, stood out to me here not only in this match but this entire show i'm a big fan as you know rob of the shoot style pro wrestling obviously shiri's one of my favorite wrestlers and all of wrestling because she's a legit shooter where you can see uh nagano you know how well she was here and it kind of makes me wonder that if you were to take you know mika nagano in 2011 versus current day shiri what that would look like i mean i think that would be an that would be a fantastic match but no i i really enjoyed it this was something that was completely different than everything else on the card um, it was solid. Like I said, didn't overstay its welcome, and I had it at three and a half stars. Yeah, it was short. Like I say, sub four minutes. I thought Eris Sousa did a good job um, with what she was given to do, um, basically being ragdolled around the ring by Mika Nagano. That first takedown that you mentioned, the noise that Eris Sousa makes as she hits the ground, as the wind is knocked out by Nagano. There's also a moment where she... Um, she sort of shoot football tackles Erisusa into the turnbuckles. And I remember Dr. Death Steve Williams doing it where he'd just sort of push forwards with his hands and it would fire the person backwards into the corner. And obviously it wasn't done with the same amount of violence as Dr. Death Steve Williams. Very, very few things are, but it just it reminded me of that and made me laugh. Very much felt like Erisusa was a lamb for slaughter, but you know, 
it takes two to tango and i think she did her job on defense very very well i agree with you i think it was really good to have something completely different on this card i think they were sort of setting mika nagano up as this shoot style killer which you know could really really work and certainly is something completely different on a card ultimately unfortunately mika nagano would retire in 2013, she would retire actually at the Ria Goku show, the same one as Yuzuki Aikawa in April 2013. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, but thankfully, it does look like she retired to start a family. She was married in December of that year and announced her pregnancy in February of 2014. So all's well that ends well with Mika Nagano. Eric Sousa actually would continue to wrestle for stardom. Un- well, un- continue to wrestle, should I say, until 2016, uh, wrestling her final match for stardom in late 2013. Um, so actually, I didn't realize Arisusa wrestled for as long as she did. I was under the impression that she was one of the rookies that sort of had a couple of matches and then thought, you know what, this isn't for me, or put their schooling above wrestling, which quite a considerable amount of the girls did, which is absolutely fair enough, Matt. I know that you are a big advocate uh, of uh, wrestling before school. Uh, <laughs> uh, terrible. Karina and Hina should drop out and just become full-time wrestlers. They'll be millionaires. <laughs> um, speaking of people who should drop out of school and become millionaires, um, singles match, Haruka <laughs> versus Passion Naki ended oh in a... <laughs> you love I don't it. even know where you're going. It's the best. I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. I just wanted to give you your props. That was so bad. It was good. I love it. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Um, it ended in a five-minute time limit draw. Haruka, of course, the nine-year-old who was the youngest by a considerable distance in that first stardom rookie class. Famous, or most famous, should I say, for having that three-minute match with Kenny Omega at Stardom X Stardom 2011. The very, very gifable match that broke the psyche of Jim Cornette. Um, but here, she went to a time limit draw against Pashinaki, who, of course, was a masked Natsuki Teo. Matt, I will let you talk about this. There's not a great deal that we can say about this. Ultimately, Haruka, every single match she had, bar her final one against Yoshiko, was a time limit draw. And I think when you are a nine-year-old wrestling, you know, people who are significantly older than you, I think there's certain... 
certain liberties that your opponent won't take. And I think that's for the best as well. So Haruka was seen more, I think, as an attraction of look how talented this person is at this at this really, really young age. And, you know, it's a shame that we didn't see what she would become afterwards because, you know, a couple of months after that Kenny Omega match, she would ultimately retire from wrestling. Um, the rumor being that she, you know, wanted to concentrate on her schooling. Though I did read somewhere that she was being bullied for that Kenny Omega match, which boggles my mind. Like, how can you be being bullied for something that is like, it just boggles my mind. Like, it was such a cool moment. Why would you ruin it? But either way, it's only a rumor. Um, what did you think of this match, Matt? You know, it's really weird when it comes to like these, like these seven, eight, nine, ten year olds in a wrestling ring, right? I'm a huge advocate for, you know, youth sports. My nephews are involved in soccer, baseball, and basketball, and they're fantastic. They're 11 and 13 now, but they've been involved in sports since I was younger, or uh, since they were younger, which I guess technically I was younger as well. Um, I when I go to catch camp, I just came back from catch camp this week, and there's a considerable amount of kids that put in their 11 hours that are just absolutely phenomenal. So, but when it comes to, I'm a huge advocate for you know any kid doing organized sports. Obviously, you know it keeps your mind sharp, it keeps you you know out of trouble, it keeps you you know learning learning some discipline and some uh, some some good manners. When it comes to wrestling, it's, I I still don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it just because like the danger that can possibly happen. Obviously we saw how Kenny Omega was overly safe with Haruka uh, passion. Uh, Nakai was overly uh, safe here with, uh, with Haruka. So, you know, and you know, both of them were very careful um, with the, uh, the very young Haruka. Obviously she was, and I've watched maybe about a year or so ago, I watched one of Azumi's first matches when she was like 11 or 12. Now, obviously I know what Azumi would eventually become, you know, and whatnot. So it's like, okay, I know where this eventually leads to in eight, nine, ten years. And you can see how good Azumi was back then. And you kind of wonder, had Haruka not retired and, and did the same path as Azumi, would we see like this big star-like kid, Azumi, and Haruka feud? It's a possibility. It really is because in the few outings that Haruka has had, her, her age is well beyond her years. Uh, you know, super you know her timing in the ring is very well her ring positioning is very well again the opponents that she's in the ring with are doing a great job taking care of her obviously i didn't rate this match there's really not too much to go on it was basically just an exhibition and it only went five minutes but the one good thing i can say about these younger super younger wrestlers getting into a wrestling ring as long as that it's, it's being safe and everything's being planned out in a safe way it gives them ring experience and experience in front of an audience a live audience where there's no net, where if they mess up, well, you can go back over and do it again. It's literally one take and go. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see why Starlight Kid is so good and why Izumi is so good is because they've been doing it at a high level for so long. But uh, ultimately, I thought there was uh, nothing wrong with this match, but this isn't one that I don't think me and you'll be doing for an alternate commentary sometime soon. I wouldn't hold your breath matt turner you you wait till the next time that you ask what my choice is and it will be <laughs> haruka versus passion naki um no i mean fair play to her for getting in a ring at nine years old repeatedly 
as well and uh, doing a fantastic job. Um, yeah, nothing to write home about match-wise. It is sort of uh, an attraction, but even so, I think she deserves a tremendous amount of praise for that. Um, we move on then to our semi-main event. Only five matches on this card, as Matt said. A singles match with two rookies from that class, Arisa Hoshiki defeating someone called Mayu Iwatani. Um, I don't think anything ever became of her with the Brazilian kick in seven minutes and four seconds. Obviously, Mayu Iwatani becomes the icon of stardom, the greatest wrestler the company has seen, um, the only one of the three daughters of stardom to be with them for the entire run. And indeed, the only member of that initial class to stay with stardom throughout its entire run at the time of recording but matt she wasn't that person here <laughs> no you can tell she's that shy little girl that we're all hearing about and that we'll all probably see in that movie that's coming out in a few months time where you can just tell she's not the you know tripping over things for our entertainment throwing baseballs into the crowd obviously this is her very first match and she's you know very well ner- nervous and again you know she's shy she's doing she's and obviously kudos to her for uh for stepping out of her comfort zone and thanks to her, you know, I mean, if she doesn't take a risk on herself and take the leap, not knowing where she's going to land and doesn't take that jump and become a professional wrestler, we don't get 13 years and counting of the wonderful, fantastic professional wrestler. That is Mayu Watani. So Mayu here was a little bit reserved. She did a great job with the roll-ups and the quick pinfalls and whatnot, but Arisa Oshinki was the star of the match here. You can tell she is going to become something very big. And obviously she leaves wrestling, I think only a year or two later, to go into kickboxing and then comes back into 2019 and uh, quickly becomes, you know, one of the big main eventers uh, for stardom, you know, a handful of years ago. So, you know, you it's always what if. I know we did the what if episode. Jeez, it might have been a year or so ago. What if Arisa didn't get injured? Um, and she continued to wrestle another two or three years for stardom. You know, maybe another what if we might have to go back as if what if Arissa stayed in stardom the entire time? What would her run look like in 2012, 2013? Would we see a, a feud with Kyrie? Would we see a feud with an earlier uh, feud with Momo Watanabe? A feud with uh, with Io? Um, would we see you know or, or some earlier matches with Kagetsu? I mean, there's a lot that you know. So maybe some stuff with Hana Kimura would be fantastic uh you know with hazuki obviously they had that great wonder of stardom championship match but that that's another you know what if but you can see arisa here very early on in her career at the very first stardom show there was a lot of potential and she's clearly the star of this match uh again another solid outing obviously mayu it just goes to show you that even in your first and she what by no means was mayu bad in this match uh, i'm just saying maybe just because it's maybe it's unfair that i think that when we went back and watched this match a few weeks ago that we're unfairly comparing her to Mayu of now, which that's, that's not fair. Mayu was really good here, but Arisa to me was just the standout. But that just goes to show if you work your ass off on something and you believe in yourself and you don't take no for an answer, you literally can go for shy girl Mayu that only has a little bit going here to 13 years later being, again, not only one of, if not the greatest female wrestler of all time, let's call it what it is. She's one of the greatest wrestlers of this or any generation regardless of country, regardless of, of race. I mean, Mayu is, you know, she's one in a million talent. And again, it just goes to show, when you work your ass off at something and believe in yourself, you literally can accomplish anything. 
Absolutely. And something that I wanted to ask you, Matt, obviously here we have got two rookies in a match together. Ordinarily, when you have a rookie debut, you have them in the ring with someone more experienced, someone who's capable of leading the match. It speaks to the trust that Stardom clearly have in these two rookies that they put them in a match together. Um, and I was just wondering what are your thoughts on on that and sort of what do you think this match was laid out very deliberately before the match? Because like I say, this is their first ever time in the ring. I doubt that they would have the confidence, certainly Mayu on, on the face of it, to call it in the ring. Do you feel like it was sort of laid out beforehand? My actually very first match I've ever had in a professional wrestling ring was also my opponent's very first match he ah, ever had okay. in a professional wrestling ring. Yes, yeah, shout out to uh, my man, uh, Dan, uh, uh, Big Dan English. Back then he was dancing Danny Rage, but uh, he, he's he's going to be somewhere around the uh, the bar scene in Philadelphia, my friend, during uh, WrestleMania weekend. So maybe we'll bump into him. I think he has his own beer, too. I think him and us are the only ones that have their own beer going on in Philly, so go us. But how that came about, just to kind of answer your question, is because we were training partners, so we knew we were going to have the match about two weeks out. So I think like two or three times a week during training, we would kind of lay out our match and we would have some of the other wrestlers that were helping out with the training kind of walk us through what we were going to do the match. Uh, it was literally where the training center was was exactly where our, the very first show was. So it was literally, we were going move for move, step for step. So literally, we had everything called from A to Z, which sometimes isn't a good thing, and sometimes it's not a bad thing. Again, because you can maybe get to G, and maybe somebody forgets something, or the crowd just doesn't care, and you really don't have to pivot because you got to go through the rest of your steps. But luckily for me, the show was literally three minutes away from my house, so like 80% of the people that were there were all friends and family. So I could have worked a headlock for four or five minutes and it would have got over. But uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't have that luck. So to answer your question, my man, but just basically going off my experience and what I know in pro wrestling, I wouldn't be shocked if this is something that uh, Ayakal, our, uh, that uh, Arissa and Mayu kind of practiced maybe a few weeks out with maybe the watching eye of Nanai and uh, Rossi, you know, basically tell them what to do and where to do. And how long did this match go? This match went seven minutes and four seconds. Yeah, so you're just a shade over seven minutes. So it's like, you know, get it, do what you need to do, get a feel for the crowd, get your stuff over, here's the finish and get out. I'm assuming they weren't like they got to the building and Rossi's like, what are you two rookies going to do? We're going to call it in the ring, brother. I highly doubt that's what happened. I'm assuming they probably had everything called from A to Z, but maybe, hey, if they're not biting here on letter H or J, let's pivot and do this. That's kind of a possibility. But that's, I'm assuming, with uh, with having somebody like a Nanai Takahashi and a Rossi Ogawa who have, you know, experience in this, they probably practiced their match a few times before, and uh, and then they probably put them out there. Yeah, that is what I thought. It it makes most sense. Um, just just briefly for those who aren't aware, Mayu Otani obviously a shot in. Um, uh, didn't go to school for for three years. Um, only very limitedly went outside. Um, went to see a Dragon Gate show with her brother. Uh, became infatuated with pro wrestling, and in particular Ultima Dragon. Um, was sort of inspired to respond to the ad of um the stardom dojo or the stardom training school um went to tokyo um from yamaguchi which i believe is where she's from i think it's yamaguchi um and basically everyone thought that she'd fail 
Um, she was the last in her class to pick up a singles win. Um, I think many people anticipated her quitting relatively soon. Um, she would try things that her body was just simply not capable of. And I think here as well, you could see that she was very, very tired very, very quickly. And I wonder if that was a little bit of nerves and going into this match too quickly. However, you know, it's a story of perseverance. Not only did she persevere, not only did she prove everyone wrong by staying in the company and not only staying in the company, but becoming someone who was able to drag stardom alongside Kyrie Neo out of a very, very dark time in 2015 which we will be talking about momentarily um but i just the the story of mayu is incredibly inspirational um obviously still going strong today current iwgp women's champion um arisa hoshiki has gone through two retirements one to focus more on her band unlimited dream navigator in 2012 her and mayu would form a short-lived tag team ama which was extremely popular by all accounts. Um, she'd come back again briefly in 2018 and then retire due to a combination of neck and head injuries in 2020. And unfortunately, aside from a couple of bits of uh, acting in Act Res Girls, hasn't returned to the ring since. And it's a crying shame because Arissa, you could see here there was something special about Arissa. Um, and she certainly outshone Mayu in this match. Um, we move on then to our main event, which saw the final two rookies of that initial rookie class go head-to-head. Um, Yoko Bito defeating Yoshiko with her doll B spinning kick in 10 minutes and 31 seconds. And knowing this initial run of shows in 2011, stardom really made it obvious that they'd earmarked Yoshiko for big things, Matt. But it was Yoko Bito that got the win in this one. What did you think? I thought this was a good uh, a good one. Yoshinko is obviously somebody... <laughs> we talked about it on the uh, episode of Chris Jericho, and we talk about it quite a bit, but she's uh, someone that's definitely very infamous in the wonderful world of stardom, but you can't deny how great of a talent she is. And I'm a big fan of Yoko Bito. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, you know her run when she came back from retirement uh, back in 2016, 2017, obviously she would go on to win the five-star Grand Prix and uh, have uh, have some really good matches with Io Shirai for the Wonder of Stardom Championship. But uh, I thought this was a good this was a good way to send the fans home happy. There was a clear distinction between babyface and heel, with Yoshinko being the dominant, overpowering heel, and Yoko Bito being the fiery underdog baby state underdog babyface. You know, easy story to tell in ten and a half minutes, which is Yoshinko kind of overpowering Yoko Bido and Yoko just firing back with those blistering kicks that she does. Yoshinko at one point hits this huge lariat and then follows it up with a rear naked choke, which I love the psychology of that because the lariat works the neck and then the choke goes immediately after the neck. So I really like that. Um, But uh, I really just enjoyed how uh, it was just Yoko Bido just being able to fight through the, uh, the blitzing uh, offensive uh, the, uh, the blitzing offense that Yoshinko brought in enables it to hit that uh, big knee and the 360 kick for the three count. I thought this was the second best match on the show. I had it at three and three fourth stars. Yeah. It, Yoshiko, unfortunately, you know, without beating around the bush, she's most famous now or infamous for that ghastly match in 2015 where she went rogue beat the living Jesus out of Act Yasukawa um, in a match for Yoshiko's Red Belt. And ultimately, that would colour 
the rest of her career. Um, and she would ultimately retire with little to no fanfare in 2022, which is a real shame because, yes, she did a terrible thing. Um, absolutely. And I don't think there's anyone in the world that is defending what she did. Um, but she was such a talented wrestler. She really was. And you could tell from the very get-go in stardom that she was earmarked, maybe even as a successor to Nanai Takahashi at the top of the card. She would ultimately become the fourth World of Stardom champion. Um, but, you know, that couple of minutes in in uh, Corrigan Hall in 2015 will ultimately change Yoshiko's career. She'd end up um, being stripped of the belt, fired from the company. Um, she wouldn't step back into a stardom ring for six years. Um, it wasn't until March 2021 where she faced Mayu in a special singles match in Budokan Hall that she was eventually excited back into a stardom ring. And then she hasn't wrestled since 2022. I know that she's been suffering with, with injuries and things like that. It's just when you see, especially in this initial run of everyone, including Yoko Bito, who I thought was great here, of everyone in that initial rookie class, Yoshiko is the one that stands out. Yoshiko is the one that's different, has got that little bit of star power. I mean, it helps that she's the only definitive heel out of that class. Um, but you just feel like there's something special about her and uh, that she never really reached that potential, you know, completely out of her own doing, is uh, is really sad um, and quite a sour note to end, the, uh, to end the show on. But yeah, I thought Yoko Bito looked good here. Again, another really underrated worker in stardom's history. Um, she's another one who would retire, then come back and then retire again um, in 2017. But, you know, former wonder of stardom champion, um, goddess of stardom champion multiple times with Kyrie and with Yuzuki Aikawa. She's won the five-star Grand Prix. So she's a decorated wrestler in her own right. And though she's another one that I think was, there are flashes here of what she could produce. But obviously, you know, again, I think she's had maybe two matches prior to this one. She's a little bit more experienced than Orisa and Mayu at any rate, but there was still still a little bit of greenness to work out, which is, you know, to be expected. This is ultimately a show full of rookies, really, with a few ex experienced heads. Um, but yes, Matt, overall, what did you think of this show? Was it what you expected? Um, what did you think? It wasn't what I expected just because I didn't expect the kids match. That kind of like when I clicked on the thumbnail, I'm like, oh, okay. But, uh, I mean, other than that, and again, there was nothing wrong with it. Again, the main thing is that the nine-year-old didn't get hurt. But uh, I knew Mayu and Arissa, it was, you know, rookie versus rookie, and obviously the two of them would become, again, even though Arissa really only had, I think, something like 191 matches, compared to Mayu, probably like 19,000 matches. Obviously, Arissa is, uh, you know, bona fide legend in stardom. If they ever did a stardom Hall of Fame, she'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mayu, again, she's Mayu. Um, the main event was great. And for those, we know we have a lot of new listeners to Stardom. Uh, if you subscribe to Stardom World, I'm assuming that you do. Go back and watch some Yoko Bito matches because she's somebody that kind of unfairly gets lost in kind of the channels of time that is Stardom. Just because 
for the last three or four years, there have been so many good wrestlers and so many good matches in stardom that you maybe forget about some of the matches that she's had in 2016 and, 2000, and 2017 and whatnot. And again, she teamed up with Yuzuki Ayakawa. She teamed up with Kyrie, two of the best wrestlers in the history of the company. Um, so, you know, I, that's that would be my big suggestion is for people just to go back, you know, for our listeners to go back and watch some Yoko Beto matches because she really was a hidden gem, uh, you know, in, in the early uh, years of stardom. But again, my man, that main event was, uh, or not that main event, the main event was solid, but that opening match for me is what really, you know, drives the show, you know, to, uh, if I'm going to give it a letter grade, probably a B plus. It'd probably be a B, but because that opening tag match is so good and so well planned out and so many near falls finishes, which I absolutely love. Again, it's basically a you know a throwback to the uh, all Japan style of the '90s. That's near and dear to my heart. Um, that would probably pull it up to a B plus for me. Again, it's a super super enjoyable show, easy to digest. Five matches with only one match uh, going over 15 minutes. Something that obviously just building on the back of what you said about Yoko Bito, go and check out some Yoko Bito matches. Absolutely great wrestler. Go and check her out, but don't sleep on Yuzuki Aikawa. The the way she's spoken about in stardom, she was pivotal to that early success of stardom, and she had less than a hundred matches. She wrestled ninety eight matches, which, when you think about the way she's spoken of in stardom, you know the first real ace of the company before your likes of Io Shirai and Kairi and Mayu. You know it's baffling to think that she was able to do what she did in under a hundred matches. And, you know, again, how good she got in less than a hundred matches, because truly that match against Mako Satomura at stardom, the highest 2013 fantastic match. That match against the Naitakahashi for the world of stardom championship at year end climax, 2012 fantastic match. And really, it's really cool to see that early progression of the company, those early alliances and things that build as well. So really, really cool show. I'm really glad we looked at it. We've spoken about it. And guys, talk to us. What did you think about this show? What was your favorite match? What were your favorite moments? Who did you enjoy seeing? We'd love to hear about it in the comments. Next time, guys, for our retrospective, we will be um, releasing one of our archived patreon episodes on momo watanabe white belt run retrospective that will be released in uh two weeks time i believe and then um our new retrospective that we will be recording and releasing to you two weeks from then i believe matt unless i'm very much mistaken is i know i've forgotten it what is it <laughs> We are going to be looking at this is something new and dear to my heart. Every single uh, beauty salon zest hair match. <laughs> this is something that I know people have been begging. I mean, I can't go a day without somebody. Please review. We need the, uh, the insight of Matt Turner and Rob Goodwin, who they both have phenomenal sets of hair. They want no. <laughs> we are going to be looking at uh, Natsupoy's 2023 right. five star Grand Prix. Yes, Natsupoy was the MVP of the five star Grand Prix for many people, including myself and Rob Goodwin. So we decided that we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go back through every single one of Natsupoy's matches from the five star Grand Prix. And what perfect timing, because that'll be released 
sometime at the end of March. And uh, from what we understand, Natsupoi is coming back, um, I believe, on the 9th of March. So, uh, again, sometimes we get really, really good with this timing stuff, partner. But we've missed Natsupoi so much. We only have to wait about two more weeks before we see her. No, about a week before we see her in a wrestling ring again. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to be watching some phenomenal matches from the Murder Pixie herself. Absolutely. I cannot wait, which, of course, our alternate commentary is also based on Natsupoi with Siori Poi versus Crazy Star. Am I right, Matt? Yes, sir. You're right on that one, buddy. Got it. No, we're going to be doing the beauty salon. Will tonight. you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'd like to end, Matt, on one final fact, and this is just for you my friend. We were talking about Haruka, uh, the nine-year-old girl. I don't know if you know who she would grow up to be, um, but actually, she would grow up to be none other than Yuzuki. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> For anybody that subscribes that listens to the alternate commentary whenever we're watching a brawl in the crowd, which we just have me watching a lot of a wedding time matches of late. Whenever there's a brawl, a brawl in the crowd, there'll be like some child and they'll and I'm always it's just the dad gene in me, and I'll be like, that child needs to watch out. And then I for some reason Rob will just go, Well, you know who that child grew up to be, right? Yuzuki. It's just now the running joke that <laughs> I don't know if anybody else popped for it, but me and Rob popped for it. So <laughs> I solely do it because it makes me laugh. I have no idea if anyone else enjoys it, but it makes me laugh. Heaven for, I really hope mm. someone brings a child to that live mm. podcast. Because genuinely, oh I'll be like, oh my God, it's Yuzuki. Um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We truly do appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please think about subscribing. We are literally everywhere. If you could leave us a five-star review and a comment, it really does help us out. If you've got any ideas for retrospectives that you would like to hear on the free feed, whether that is title runs, show reviews, uh, five-star Grand Prix runs, tournament runs, whatever you want us to do, give us some ideas and we would love to do them for you. Um, if you haven't already, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the stardom cast we've got tears from as low as one dollar a month if you want to hear these episodes early and ad free then that is certainly for you um you can check out the revamped website www.thestardomcast.com where i'm currently in the process of logging a whole host of data and statistics and histories regarding stardom so if this is your first time listening to the stardom cast you can go and check that out as it is a work in progress um we'd love to see you over there if you want to find us on social media you can at at the stardom cast if you want to talk to me on twitter you can at at real rob goodwin matt turner sign us off good sir yes absolutely i completely echo everything rob said so again if you have any retrospectives you would like us to do or any alternate commentaries for our patreon members let me know or questions or comments. Matt Turner OF on the Instagram and or the Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. If you want to shoot me an email, perfectly fine as well. The Stardomcast22 at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of me via email. Folks, we hope we enjoyed that you enjoyed this bonus episode. I know myself and Rob had a really, really good time going back and watching the very first Stardom show and just giving you all a little bit of context. So uh, hope you enjoyed it. We appreciate your support can't do this without you because like i always say it's just not my podcast it's our podcast because we're all together and everybody's different everybody's special 